Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Deb Soon, who's the founder of The Hug, and we're going to talk about community-driven art. If you are into art or you're into community to drive the launch and development of some sort of a company, I think you're going to find today's interview very interesting. By the way, I'm at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter slash X. And if you are new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you do not miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Debbie Soon. Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide. Today, I am very excited to be joined by Debbie Soon. If you don't know who she is, she is the co-founder of thehug.xyz, a social marketplace for digital and physical art. Her newsletter is called Creator Royalties. Debbie, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited you're here today. Debbie and I are going to explore community-driven art and what all that means. But before we go there, I would love to hear your story. How did you get into NFTs? Start wherever you want to start. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, I'm I'm Singapore born and raised, uh, pretty much grew up and lived out my entire life. I moved to Los Angeles about two and a half years ago during the pandemic. And I guess during that time was kind of looking for my next thing or looking for the next chapter of my journey. And obviously, in the middle of the pandemic, it's pretty hard to kind of meet anyone. And so I think that was when I started getting really passionate about Internet communities really felt that, hey, you know, what is this crypto thing that everybody's talking about? And so really dove in head first. 
And that was when I met my co-founder, Randy Zuckerberg, on Discord. And it's pretty funny. I had an avatar. I wasn't using my real face, not my real name. So we definitely had a very kind of Web3 meet cute story, if you will. We jump on a Zoom call and just really hit it off. Um, my experience prior to this was spending seven years in finance, but I was always focused on investing in consumer companies. So have always really been passionate about you know, what drives consumer or how consumer behaviors are changing over time. And so I felt it was really relevant to everything that was going on in the NFT space. And then I guess more recently, I have been involved in a variety of startups, both from like live sports to fitness. So it was just a really exciting time. And obviously the opportunity to work with Randy was something that I, you know, I didn't want to pass up on. Okay. So take us back to Randy Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg's sister, right? It is a sister. I should know this, of course. So how in the world did you all start chatting? Tell us the story because obviously Randy Zuckerberg is extremely high profile. She doesn't just work with anybody. So I'd love to kind of hear how did you guys meet? What was the vision, you know, at that moment and kind of tell us, just give us a little bit more of that story. I'd love to hear a little bit more of that. Yeah, so the very first community that we met in was a community called Meta Angels. They were actually founded by um, two uh, women entrepreneurs whom I had mutual friends with. So I, I would say that my onboarding or introduction into the Web3 and NFT space was relatively gentle compared to, you know, a lot of other people. Like I knew straight away that these were people that I could trust, like they were all docs, like they were all ex- extremely accomplished. And uh, Randy was serving as an advisor to this community. And I was, like I said, getting my feet wet, trying to learn a little bit more about what Web3 is, like, you know, what, like how internet communities form, what kind of got people ticking and chatting. And so I had a bit of free time having just moved. And so I kind of volunteered to be like, hey, I'll do some social media for you and just kind of be a community member, active community member. It was through that process that I don't I had a light bulb moment, I guess, after doing this for about like, honestly, like not even that long. I think it was like a one weekend. Like, so after one weekend of being a community member, I just kind of put it out there that, hey, you know, I have this wish, like I'm kind of wrapping some things up. I'm looking for my next opportunity, but my wish is to go into Web3 full time. And I really want to explore what this new universe has to offer. And I guess Randy happens to be in a Discord and it's, it's still a crazy story to me, but she responded to this message about seven days after I had posted it. And if anybody knows anything about Discord is that between that message and seven days later, there were probably hundreds if not thousands of messages. So I have no idea why she decided to scroll back to that message to respond to it. And um, I guess she said, hey, you know, like um, I, I'm kind of looking to work with someone who has some, some of your background. I would love to chat. Uh, and so we started chatting. That was a great conversation. But then separately, she messaged the Meta Angels founders to be like, hey, who is running your social media? Because this is really great content that's being put out. And they were like, oh, that's Debbie, whom you're speaking to. And again, it was a little confusing because I had a different name on Discord. And, and you know, that was different from my real name. And so I guess she just kind of put two and two together. So the conversation, kind of all of the work that I was doing, volunteering as a community member, all of that just really resonated with her. And and yeah, and then we started building this incredible company together. So tell us a little bit about the company and like what you, why'd you call it the hug and kind of what was the mission when you got started? Yeah, you know, our mission is really to help artists become creative entrepreneurs. And, you know, I would say artists of all kinds definitely started off really focusing on artists that had a Web3 presence or were monetizing their art through NFTs, but very quickly realized that, you know, 
artists didn't wake up because of NFTs one morning and then decided that they were an artist. They've been artists for years. And, you know, NFTs were just one of multiple different ways that they were starting to monetize their work. We called it a hug because if you've ever met Randy, she is one of the warmest people that you will ever meet. Incredibly positive and just really one of those people. I've never met, honestly, anyone that really uplifts people or cheers people on as much as she does. And so, you know, we wanted something that really kind of represented her and represented our brand values and hence the word hug, showing that everybody's included, everybody is welcome, everybody can be embraced. And and we still do that um, up to today. But yeah, I think in terms of hug, you know, we have always wanted to, you know, level the playing field for all artists to to succeed. Uh, you know, give them the tools to, you know, have, help them be more effective at their business because every artist is an entrepreneur and, you know, try and make it as easy as possible so that they can focus on the things that they love doing the most, which is, you know, focusing on the joy of creation. Very cool. You have, when we were prepping for this call, told me that it's kind of a social marketplace. Maybe you could just describe what you mean by that so people can wrap their heads around that because that's a phrase not everybody's familiar with. Yeah. So, you know, we're really focused, you know, at the end of the day, we know that we need artists. You know, I always like to say that, you know, Uber wouldn't have gotten started if they didn't have drivers, right? So before you had the passengers, you needed to have the drivers. And so for us, before we can really build in like full marketplace functionality, we need to have the artists. And the only way that we can get artists and keep them on hug is to really build a place that, you know, where they feel seen, where they feel celebrated and where they can connect with each other. So right now we're really focused on that social piece of it. We create all of these incredible profiles that they can customize, share every single like relevant information that that they need to about themselves to make them more effective at marketing themselves. The other, some of the other social elements that we have there as well as that just like any other social platform, you can follow your favorite artists. You can get their updates directly to your inbox. And the one thing that I really love is that you're able to write a really nice shout out to the, to your, on your favorite artist page. And so, you know, we've had artists, you know, I guess, discover all of these incredible things that are being said about them and their work and, you know, just be really moved by that, especially, you know, the market that we're in is a little bit slower these days. And so just remembering that they have worth and they have value and it really keeps them going. And so, you know, I've had artists tell me that just the motivation to keep going is worth more than any sale. And so that's something that we've really been focused on. At the same time, we make it easier for artists to share what they have available for sale. So, you know, they can list everything that they have available, whether it's NFTs, whether it's just at their merch shop. And we help consolidate that and share that with the people that, you know, are following them in their work. So there are likely artists listening right now or someone who's listening might know an artist and maybe they're a little skeptical about why artists should leverage this Web3 blockchain based NFT technology. What do you want to say to those people that are not sure they should potentially use NFTs to represent their art? Yeah, you know, I think my my response is always, you know, why not? Like, I, I don't think you lose that. What's the worst that could possibly happen by exploring a new technology? Like I mentioned, NFTs and Web3 and putting that all on the blockchain, that's just one of many different ways that you can monetize your, your work. I think the way that sometimes when we read about it in the media, it feels very all or nothing. It's like NFTs are bust. And that's certainly not what we're seeing. That's not what we're hearing in all of the conversations that we have um, you know, with our artists, right? So a lot of the artists that we speak to, they have multiple streams of income. They are doing commissions. They are working on brand deals. They are selling their work as NFTs, yes, but they also have a print shop. And so 
I think by not embracing NFTs, or at least not exploring what it has to offer is, you know, equivalent to kind of leaving money on the table. And I would say if you're looking a little further out, we're definitely seeing a lot of new art collectors come into the into the space where they are really excited about new emerging technology. And so this new collector liquidity or, li- or funds, you know, flowing into the space, they are looking to collect on chain. And so not having that presence and not exploring what that has to offer is essentially a wasted opportunity in, in my mind. And and even if after exploring it, you kind of realize that, you know, it's not for you, that's okay too. Like I said, it's just one of multiple ways that an artist can, you know, diversify their revenues and, and monetize their work. We've had uh, Jen Stark and Amber Vittoria on the show, which are two pretty big and well-known NFT artists. And they both said that this was actually a way that they could make pretty substantial amounts of money that would have taken them a lot longer. I know that when you and I were talking, we were talking about some of the gatekeepers that sometimes get in the way of art. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think a lot of the traditional way of doing art business, if you will, you had to sell your work through galleries. I think in general, obviously, that has changed with social media. Anybody can set up a social media profile and, you know, build up their brand that way and, you know, market and find consumers that way. But, you know, I I would say that traditionally people have had to rely on galleries, on curators. And I would say the realm of digital art, the realm of NFTs have really allowed anyone to be an art collector or art curator and also build a really close personal relationship with. You know, I started off as being a collector of embers, actually. And then now, like, we're friends and, you know, we can meet up and, you know, hang out by the pool together, which I don't think that in a Web2 or I guess the setting that we're used to would have necessarily happened if I would have discovered her work through, you know, like she did this collaboration with H&M Home. If I had just bought her cushion cover from H&M, I would have never really known who the artist was behind that. And, you know, I would say with the environment that we're living in really allows us to build those direct connections with artists. You know, another thing that I would say from an art collector standpoint, so I've always lived in small apartments. I still live in a small apartment today. Uh, But so I've never really considered myself as an art collector because I felt that A, I didn't really have the wall space. B, I didn't really have the funds to do so. You know, I think the impression was always that to collect art, you needed to spend like thousands of dollars. And, you know, I think what we've realized is that a lot of digital artists realizing that they can sell their work through NFTs and, you know, be able to build a connection with your collectors that way. I have now realized that, oh, you know, I can support an artist and be an art collector if I'm, even if I'm just spending, you know, $30, $50 on, on an NFT. Yeah, I think you're onto something. We had Eric Calderon, also known as Snowfro. I think I got his last name right. I know more Snowfro on the podcast. And I'm also part of the Proof Collective. And there are a lot of people that didn't know they were art collectors until they started collecting NFT art. Right. So and there's a lot of people that are talking about the longevity of NFT art. Right. Especially if it's on chain, there are people hypothesizing that with the PFPs that may or may not stand the test of time. Art is something that will always have value because art is something that you can digitally show off, which I think is kind of fascinating. I want to go back to the launch of Hug. When did you guys actually launch? And how did you actually go about launching? And let's talk a little bit about how your community played into that. Like, was there any kind of pre-launch developing social stuff? Like, talk to us a little bit about how the launch, you and Randy decide you're going to launch the hug, right? And somehow, some way you guys went about using the community or developing a community to launch. And I'd love to hear how that all went down. Yeah, so I would say the very, very initial genesis of Hug was kind of taking some of the existing advisory relationships that Randy had. So at the time that Randy and I met, she was already advising a number of PFP projects. So she 
was advising Boss Beauties, uh, Curious Addies. And so we originally, you know, wanted to build a hub to provide like education and mentorship to creators. And, and that's something that we still kind of do today, although we have evolved it in a little bit, which I will share more on. But very quickly, we knew that we wanted to build a much larger community versus just, you know, mentoring like three or four businesses at a time. And so our vision for Hug was always to make, I think, starting off, just make creators more discoverable. You know, I think along the way, we've obviously iterated on what kind of features we wanted Hug to have. But primarily, we wanted to see how we could improve on the discoverability of creators in a very noisy and chaotic system that we all live in today. We felt that the best way to do that was really to leverage the power of community in order to surface at least which are the creators that are worth discovering. Who are the creators people are a fan of today? And how can we get all of this incredible information into one place and make it really easily searchable? And so we started building the community, I think, in March, like I guess March of last year or middle of March of last year. Just for people listening in the future, that's March of 2022, right? Just to be clear, right? Yes, March of 2022. That's right. And yeah, we put an open call out for people to be community curators, I believe was the term that we use and and finally is still the term that we use today in, in some ways. But we put out a call for community curators who are passionate about art, passionate about creators who had a point of view and wanted to kind of recommend the creators that they like to, you know, other people. And so we started off, honestly, with a community of 300 folks. We kind of threw them into a Discord. It was a closed Discord at the time. And we started off on a Notion, a blank Notion database where, you know, we had obviously like organized into columns like artist name, like the socials, the link to their work. And we had at times like, you know, a couple hundred people just, you know, in this Notion document, just adding you know, artists that they wanted to see and adding images of their work. Can I ask a couple of clarifying questions? So yeah. did you start on social media or did you start with some of the other communities that you were in and that Randy was in to find those initial 300? We started on Twitter. So we, I, we, I think after Randy and I like, you know, met, had like a power, we said, okay, this company is going to be called Hug. So we started the socials, the Hug XYZ. And I guess from there, that was that was where we put out the call. So we, I, I think actually it's not till like this year. So it's not till the start of 2023 when we've really started diversifying channels away from Twitter. But I would say that throughout most of 2022, we were really focused on like building that audience on Twitter and then taking a subset of that, the ones that were really more engaged and like housing them on Discord and, you know, coordinating a lot of communications that way. So you've got 300 people in a Discord and it's invitation only. There's no NFT they had to buy to get into this, right? And you're using Notion. I'm not intimately familiar with Notion. Is it kind of like the equivalent of a Google Doc? Is that kind of what it's like? Yeah, pretty much. I, I would say it's like a like a Google Doc that has some database functionality. So maybe like, like yeah, like a Google Sheet almost. Okay. Like yeah. yeah, people like pouring into multiple people pouring into a Google Sheet at the same time. I mean, there was obviously always the risk that someone could overwrite someone else's work or, or what have you. But we started from there and then built like essentially this database. I think at the beginning of maybe like. 300 to 500 creators that were all like um, contributed by these group of curators, if you will. We did launch an NFT like a month later to kind of grow from that 300 people to, you know, thousands of people, if you will. But that was really what we started on. And then gradually was when we moved off of Notion, you know, imported all of the data that had been contributed by our curators put them into, I guess, what you see today, where it's really easily searchable, like, you know, had actual profiles that were linked to these creators versus just a single row in, in, in a Google Sheet or in a Notion database. So you're using this community of 300 to curate a bunch of artists and 
that must be like this. That was, it sounds like that's the soft launch almost. Right. And then the formal launch happens when you launch the NFT. Is that correct? No, I would say the form. I mean, I think the NFTs was just a way of kind of growing the community and growing the number of people that could get involved in that process. I would say the formal launch really came probably like, I guess, around like the summer of 2022. And that's when we actually had, you know, like you could actually search for these artists and discover these artists on the hug.xyz. Because I would say up until then, like unless you had the link to the private Notion document, you wouldn't be able to access all of this great work that was being done. So the formal launch of the platform and like kind of this discoverability features and tooling that really only happened in the summer of 2022. Now, when you did launch it in the summer of 2022, were you able to activate the existing community uh, in your Discord and the NFT holders to kind of get the word out? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think a lot of, even till today, I would say word of mouth is probably our most successful and largest channel. And so, you know, even today, like probably like a third, a third of our growth of artists that are being added to the platform every single month, all of that comes from invites and referrals and, and you know, uh, like artists telling their artist friends about it and wanting them to be a part of what we're building. So today, let's talk about how you're actually leveraging the community that you built, which I'm assuming is potentially thousands. How are they playing into the growth of the hug? I know there's a bunch of cool things that you're doing and I would love to hear more. So yeah, right now we have over 3000 artists on hug that you can discover over 3000 artists across 85 different countries on hug. Uh, you know, we have like double, triple that the number of like, you know, just art lovers who are there on the platform. Yeah. Right now, the way that we're activating the community, like I mentioned, you can Go find your favorite artist on Hug. You can write them something really nice. You can discover what they have that's available for sale. And the other really interesting thing is that every single artist that is on the platform right now has actually been voted in by our community. So we have an application process that kind of helps us vet any kind of spam or anyone that, you know, might be offensive in, in any way or like, you know, having profanities in your bio or something. It's it's rare, but, you know, I think at least starting out, we wanted to make sure that we were building the right culture of, you know, being inclusive. Uh, we have multiple people voting in on an artist at any one point in time. So it's never like, it's not down to a single gatekeeper. And, you know, I think it's great too, because, you know, I don't have to personally vet, or my team doesn't have to personally vet all of the artist applications going through. We have our community of curators, our community of art lovers who are like doing that for us and doing that with us. And then similarly, we've been really focused on sourcing more and more opportunities for artists. So we've been holding a number of open calls, uh, getting our artists placed in galleries all over the world, from Bali, Indonesia, to Belgium, to New York City, to San Diego. So, you know, really like all over. And how, we, how we've been involving the community in that regard is that the communities, they've, like I said, they've been curators from day one. They're still curators today. In fact, like even just today, we brought out a way for people to be able to vote on their favorite artworks for these open calls on the platform. So that has been really, really exciting and, and interesting to see. And it just kind of keeps this community of like artists and art lovers really close to each other and really supporting each other. I want to talk about hug points. But before I go there, I want to come back to the community voting. Are you using any kind of like special committee or certain levels of people in your discord get a chance to vote. For example, I'm part of the proof collective and I've also got a bunch of moonbirds and I get a vote for every one of my moonbirds on these special projects that they're funding. Or are you just using like little emojis in discord? I'm curious how you're actually kind of 
involving the community from a functional perspective in the votes? All the voting right now happens on platform. If you had spoken to me a week ago, I would have said some voting happens on the platform. Some voting happens through Google Forms still. But as of today, like, well, I mean, it's taken us a while, I guess. But I'm happy to, to, to report that every single voting that's happening happens on the platform. So right now there are a few different ways of voting. Um, you can vote for an artist to be on the platform in the first place. So that happens on platform that's been on the platform since the start of 2023. We also have people that moderate reviews or moderate the comments that are being left for artists just to make sure that people are not saying like mean things or saying offensive things. So that's another form of voting that happens on the platform as well to like essentially thumbs up or thumbs down a, a comment that's being left. And then lastly, which is the most recent, is being able to vote for your favorite artworks to be curated into an exhibition or a gallery space or most recently, we've had opportunities for media appearances as well. Uh, Randy has her own Crypto Cafe podcast. She's had guests on like Claire Silva and Jack Butcher. And we offer one of our artists the opportunity to be a part of that podcast and to ask them a question live. So we put all of that you know, onto the platform as well. As far as votes, do you have to be like a registered user to be able to vote? I'm just curious how that works. Yes. Yeah, so you have to be a registered user to vote. You have to, at the moment, you do have to hold on to one of our NFTs to be able to vote, but we are looking to kind of open that up a little bit more. Like maybe if you own an NFT, your vote counts double, but you know, obviously so long as you have an account, which you can set up one really easily with an email and a password on um, being able to vote and weigh in on decisions as well. Talk to us about the points. What are, what's the hug points and how does that all play into everything? Yeah. So, you know, hug points are really kind of, I mean, they're like frequent flyer miles, if you will. They're our loyalty point system. It's its not on chain. You know, we deliberately kept it um, and, and it was, you know, deliberately wanted it to not be on chain, I think, in part because of a lot of regulatory uncertainty over what these fungible tokens could mean. I think there were definitely things as well where we weren't quite sure what the right tokenomics would be if we were to bring it on chain, like how much do you reward someone for taking action A over action B? And so, you know, I think by keeping it all off chain, uh, like gave us the opportunity to study and understand what people's natural behaviors would be. And before we like decided to make any kind of like permanent, like immutable, irreversible decision, which is what um, the blockchain is great for. And so it's a pretty simple reward system. Like I think we reward users for engaging on the platform. So they get points for writing a review for an artist, they get points for voting for their artist. And these points can all be exchanged for free art that we acquire from our community. So I think we've really created this kind of ecosystem where we are supporting artists and then, you know, helping these artists get their art into the hands of these other people that are supporting them in other ways that are not true monetary ways, right? So, you know, I always like to say that there are a lot of different ways you can support an artist. I mean, if you didn't have the budget to buy their work, you could always just like say something nice about them and you'll get rewarded for it and maybe be able to collect a piece of work from them in that way. Any lessons learned from having a point system, like people gaming it and all that kind of fun stuff? I mean, I'm just curious for people that want to have a point system for their own thing. You know, do you find it actually gets people activated to do the regular behaviors you want, but you also get people who are gamers that are gaming the thing? I think thankfully, because we've been so intentional about a community that we've built from day one, we don't get like any kind of gamers. I mean, technically, obviously, you could like create multiple accounts, um, especially now that we have enabled like email account creation. So in the past, like you had to have a wallet to, to set up an account, which, you know, obviously there are pros and cons to that. But like with the wallet, with having, with needing a wallet to set up an account, like it was harder to gain the system, obviously. Now, like you could, you could easily do that with like emails, but we haven't really seen any of that behavior at all. I will say that it's always interesting because like 
you think that something as small as like points won't really have much of an impact, but people get pretty competitive about like earning points. We do have like a bit of a monthly leaderboard in terms of like how many reviews has somebody written and that person gets, you know, rewarded by extra points and people get pretty competitive about it, which, uh, which is always kind of surprising to me. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, this whole concept of gamification, which is really what is you're doing here with leaderboards and points and stuff. It really does trigger people that are competitive to want to be on that leaderboard so they can get more exposure. You know, I used to have gamification in this private forum that I was managing for social media examiner. And everybody wanted to be on the leaderboard because they wanted that exposure amongst all the other community, right? And they were marketers and they wanted other marketers to know who they were. It was really fascinating how small little things like this can really activate your community. What are you giving points for? Is it just logging in every day or is it only leaving comments? I'm just curious. At the moment, just on leaving comments as well as voting. So I think that's the other, I think, one lesson that we have learned, or at least we've been careful. I don't think it's something that, you know, we did wrong and hence learned a lesson from. But I think one of the things that we've been very conscious and aware of is what we're giving points out for and making sure that we're giving out points for actions that people want to do already. It's kind of like, I, I like to say that it's a little bit like turbocharging action that someone was already inclined to do. So we wanted to make sure that these are things that they were already going to do anyway. And we just kind of added points to sweeten the deal to make them like do it a little bit more. I think I always look to some of, you know, really successful products like Duolingo and how they gamify it. It's like people are going to want to log in because they're trying to learn a language and they're trying to get better at it. Like when they're not giving away points or gamifying it to force people to do something that they weren't inclined to do. So I think we're definitely approaching it with that lens and being very conscious and aware of what we're actually giving out points for. Very cool. Okay. Let's talk about, you already mentioned some of this, but the artists, you and the community are doing a series of things to help the artists actually, you know, in a various different ways. So let's just talk about some of the things that you're intentionally doing that are either community driven or driven specifically by you at the hug to just really activate and support artists. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I think our three pillars has always been how do we support artists through discovery, through curation and education. Also, I would say these are really kind of like the three pillars that we've been really focused on. So on the discovery side of things, that really is the artist profile that every artist, if you're an artist on Hug, you will have an artist profile. And, you know, we've continually made improvements to that artist profile to make it easier to discover artists. I think one thing that we've done from the very beginning was to classify artists by their mediums, by their identities. So you could find artists, you know, from communities that you identify with or resonate with, you know, the, and also a lot of improvements that we've made to the homepage to just to make it really easy to discover great art and new artists that are being added to the platform every single day. So um, that's a discovery piece. And, you know, even within the profile, like I said, aggregating updates that artists are sharing, getting these out to their collectors. You know, I, I get, I can't tell you how many DMs I get on Twitter from artists who are, you know, saying that, hey, I'm so sorry to have to DM you, but nobody is seeing my tweets or posts, I guess, now that Twitter's called X, but nobody is seeing my, what I'm putting out there anymore. So I'm having to DM you. And we wanted to find a way to really kind of get around that. So, you know, we help artists, you know, get these out to their collectors' inboxes and emails and without having to focus on building that whole like newsletter database um, themselves. So 
that's really the discovery piece. On the education front, it's something that, if anything, it was really, like I said, that was the genesis for Hug, you know, the went from Randy kind of advising or mentoring creators. So we've taken a lot of the resources that we've put together since then and really figured out how do we scale that. So we've done that through a variety of different ways. We have a free weekly newsletter that you kindly mentioned at the top of this called Creative Royalties. It's great educational content um, delivered weekly, along with kind of the latest that's going on in like arts and like arts related technology. And then we also have a whole bunch of downloadable resources, anything from an artist marketing handbook to a pricing calculator to if you're a collector, you know, looking to figure out how to get started in the world of digital art collecting, we have provided that as well. And then we also occasionally run kind of live programming with a partner. We're just wrapping up a six-week program right now on dynamic NFTs with a partner, um, Transient Labs. And that has been great. That's like 200 over artists kind of learning collaborating along the way. Uh, so that's been that's been really great to see. And we are very excited to see what they they launch. And then curation, like I said, um, from you know, from day one, this has always been a community curated platform, whether it is the artists that get onboarded to the platform in the first place, alongside, you know, now all the opportunities that we're sourcing for artists, these open calls, these, these um gallery placements, you know, all of that we're leaning on the community to really help curate and figure out, you know, which artists are best suited for that opportunity that we have sourced. Now, when you say gallery placements, are you talking about physical galleries? Or are you talking about some sort of web three or web two or virtual gallery? I'm just curious what that means. Oh, these are all physical galleries. So we actually have some really exciting ones coming up soon, like a museum, even um, digital billboards in Tokyo. So, you know, a lot of just how do we get digital art into the real world? And that's something that that, you know, we are definitely uh, committed to doing. We definitely do have, you know, some involvement in some metaverse like galleries, like on cyber or spatial, for example. And we do have metaverse partners. Like we've partnered with Decentraland before to like curate artists and showcase artists over there. But I would say these, um, the opportunities I'm talking about now are really primarily like getting digital art into the physical world. I don't know if this happened after or before you launched, but you know, we've got this AI revolution going on right now with Dolly, Stable Diffusion, and all these other platforms that are allowing people that maybe never even thought they were artists to become digital artists using AI. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on artificial intelligence and visual art. Yeah, you know, we've, we've embraced AI from day one and, and you can look at some of the early issues that we publish on Creative Royalties about it since January. So, you know, we've always been um, huge proponents of artists, you know, utilizing whatever tools are available to them to, you know, hone their craft. You know, I, I can definitely understand kind of the apprehension um, about something that's new, about something that may, I guess, threaten the way that, you know, artists have done things, but that's not new. I think we look back on history when the digital camera came out, like, you know, I think photographers were, you know, felt like, oh my gosh, like everybody can be like a photographer now. Or even when like our phone cameras started getting really high quality. And again, like then now threatening the, the people who shot with like really fancy, like digital cameras. But I think as we've seen and use, I mean, sticking to the example, we've seen that you could have a really great phone camera, but it doesn't make everybody a great photographer. And there's still so many things that you can do to, you know, enhance the photo after that to really kind of portray like, you know, your distinct point of view. And so I really look at AI through a very similar lens that I think what it does is that maybe it levels up the starting point of everyone, but you still need to be, you know, you still need to have a really distinct point of view and perspective and taste to kind of really create that that art piece. And, and you know, we, uh, Randy had Claire Silver on her podcast recently, and that was a really great listen to as well. And 
you know, class talking about what she puts into her prompts. And it's not just a cat sitting in a window. You know, she adds a lot of things to the prompt from anything from her diary entries to her favorite song lyrics to her favorite film quotes. And so really painting a really, really rich interpretation of who she is as a person and who she is as a creator. So, you know, we've definitely embraced AI. And, and Can you tell me more about Claire, just because I'm not familiar with her and some of my audience might not know. So Claire Silver, she's probably one of the most preeminent AI artists. I think she's been working in AI for a really, really long time. And, you know, how she started getting into AI art. And, and I know this story isn't unique to her because we have other artists on Hug that are similar, but they have like, you know, chronic conditions or chronic illnesses that kind of prevents them from really creating in a way that they used to be able to. And so AI has been an opportunity for them to really kind of discover that creative side of them and to really put their message out into the world. And so, yeah, class been sold at Sotheby's, has been displayed all over the world. So um, just a really, really great role model, I think, for any any artist and, and anyone interested in AI in general. I'm curious from an aesthetic perspective, you know, I, like I mentioned, I'm part of the Proof Collective and, and, you know, we get these grails artists and stuff. And there's these different kinds of art that come across. There's photograph based art, photography art. There's glitch art, right, which is this animation stuff. You've got videos. Sometimes there are videos of actual art that's been put into frames. You've got the generative art, right, which is obviously usually simpler art because it's generated through an algorithm, like usually it's textures and patterns. And then you've got obviously paintings that have been made into art, like what Amber does, Vittoria. So are you noticing a trend right now in the kind of art that newer artists are making? Does it tend to be almost all like illustrative style art or are you seeing a lot more photorealistic art? I'm just curious where you think the trends are right now with the art kinds of style of art you're seeing. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely and, you know, obviously NFTs, the biggest kind of like I guess the biggest value that they brought was to allow digital artists to be able to sell their work, right? And so, you know, I think we definitely saw like NFT art, if you will, like, um, which is a weird term, but like, let's say the, the start of NFT art may be looking a certain way. But I think as you quite rightly pointed out, like artists like Amber, like she paints, like she hand paints an acrylic, some, you know, really stunning pieces which she then scans in and are sold digitally. So I think increasingly we are starting to see like a diversity of mediums. That's certainly what I've seen. I think obviously generative art is a really interesting medium that has actually been around for a really long time. I think right now it makes sense that something that was generated by code is then now available through the blockchain and then, you know, and, and layering on these additional like aspects of technology. But and so obviously I think generative art is surging in popularity for that reason, even though it's been around for, you know, since like the 50s or 60s. I think it's been around since the 60s. Really? So, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was surprised too, but um, there was a generative art exhibition at the LACMA recently. And there are like some really, really cool pieces and even AI pieces too, that was created all in the 60s and 70s. Were they just using like keyboard at signs and stuff like that? Are you talking about like this dot matrix kind of stuff that's made into art or are you talking about something because like back in the day i know that people would take like symbols off the keyboard you know what i mean and they'd put them together and they'd make little art out of it kind of like the smiley face right you think about that traditional thing right are we talking about art like that or are we talking about literally like back in the 50s somehow somebody figured out how to print something that i don't know i'm just curious what did it look like have you seen the art from the 50s so i, I know what you're talking about they're yeah. not like just the asci i think ASCII. Getting, yeah yeah yeah, yeah they're not that but they were actually like patterns and textures really sometimes they were 
And sometimes it was like a pen that was attached to a, what did I call, it? call that? Like a, a yeah. pointer. Like a stylus so like, yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes it was attached to an actual pen and it's like the code that allows the pen to, to wow. move. And so it's like hand-drawn, but the what is generated from it is still drawn by code. So I think you definitely have some of those. But yeah, the, the art medium has been around for like a really, I mean, much longer than at least I personally had expected. And I do think that obviously what we're seeing in NFTs where like as you're minting it on the blockchain adds like another dimension to it, which is why obviously Artblocks is doing so well and so successful. And obviously we have Snowfro to credit for a lot of the innovation in that regard. Yeah, so I think to answer your, your initial question, I definitely am seeing a lot more generative art like um, than I would have say like even a year ago. But generally, I'm seeing a lot of a diversity medium. I've seen tattoo artists like, you know, launch their work as NFTs. Yeah, why not? Right. Yeah. So like, I think anything that, you know, that even if it's physical, can be scanned in. And now all of a sudden you can find an audience for it, which is, you know, really incredible. So we're recording this in, in the fall of 2023. And you kind of hinted that you're building the marketplace right now. It sounds like the way the hug works is someone has got an NFT project on someone else's marketplace, like OpenSea, for example. Right. And somehow that works into what you're doing in the future. Is someone going to be able to come to the hug and literally mint their NFTs there and have it be an end to end solution? Is that kind of the vision? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say the vision is that, you know, we are a multimodal platform for the multimodal creator. And, you know, I, I think we are actually, you know, trying constantly to not like pigeonhole ourselves into, you know, work for NFT artists, because like I said, even the term NFT art, it's it's strange because like NFT is really just the technology. Like so many things can be NFTs, your tickets can be NFTs. Right. Um, so, you know, it's just really the medium in which you are selling your art from and getting it from one person to the other. Um, so, you know, I think we really want to be, I think we also have to remind ourselves, I think in part because the audiences are, uh, do reside on different platforms. So I guess the people that are familiar with NFTs, they tend to congregate more on Twitter or on X and your more kind of traditional art buyers, or art collectors, they're on other platforms, like maybe like Instagram or like TikTok, which are more visual platforms. So, you know, I, I definitely do think that that's an opportunity for us to kind of consolidate some of these audiences because like, I, I mean, and that's why we ran the capsule with Ember. You know, I like Ember's art. Like, I don't really care, like, whether it's an NFT or whether it's a print, you know, I just want to support her work and it means something to me. So, yeah, the vision is definitely for an artist to be able to sell, you know, any kind of physical items, any kind of NFTs, like, on the same platform. And again, like not necessarily having a preference for one or the other. I think if anything, we are just agnostic, just like even how today we are chain agnostic, we are medium agnostic. You know, we just really want to provide a great platform for artists to connect with each other and to connect with people that are fans of your work. So I, this isn't a great analogy, but kind of like Etsy for artists. Is that really what, what we're talking about here? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm hoping the vision is that it's an Etsy for the new generation of artists and a new generation of consumers, right? Like I would say that, yeah, I mean, I look back like 20 years ago or how many years ago, my mom would never buy anything online. And now every consumer is shopping and doing their research online rather than going into retail stores. And I think like the next evolution of that, and I talked about how, you know, I, my the early innings of my career was really focused on evolving consumer behaviors. I see that continuing to evolve too, where, you know, People are looking to buy digital goods as well, right? So they are looking to collect art both in person. That's not going to change, but they're still going to be excited about collecting art, you know, digitally and on the blockchain. And likewise, so are creators. And so, you know, I think we feel that there is a space or opportunity for disruption for, you know, a new Etsy that is 
for a new generation of artists, new generation of consumers. And, and you know, they weren't able to do that because those modalities or those mediums just didn't exist, you know, when they got started. Very cool. Debbie, this has been really, really fun conversation. Thank you for answering my questions. If people want to discover more about you, where do you want to send them? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter or on X. It's, it's going to be hard to not use the word Twitter. <laughs> you can follow me, Derek. I'm still using the word Twitter. <laughs> so, okay. What, what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is at Deb Soon, D-E-B-S-O-O-N. And then I would say the other interesting thing is that I'm writing a book about this whole evolution into ah. Web3. So, you know, been working on that probably a lot further behind it than I should be. But Do you have a working title for the book? My working title for the book is Digital Mavericks and it's on becoming the main character of the next internet revolution. Nice. So that's kind of the work title, um, you know, trying to encourage people to embrace this new world that we're living in. And I think the name, maybe it's internet revolution, digital revolution, because I think AI is a big part of the conversation right now as well. But, you know, really encouraging people to, you know, embrace all of these trends that we're seeing rather than, you know, being afraid of it. And then obviously the hug.xyz is where people can go if they want to see all the art, right? Yep. So go to the hug.xyz to discover thousands of artists. And then all of our social handles are the hug xyz on Twitter, on Instagram, and on LinkedIn as well. Is it just one word on there? Just yep. the H-U-G-X-Y-Z. Debbie, thank you so much for sharing all your insights and congratulations on the new book. Do you have any sense of when it might be coming out? Well, I need to finish writing it first, but hopefully it will come out next year. You think it'll be 2024? Okay, cool. Well, if you're listening to this in 2024, go search for Debbie soon on Amazon and I'm sure you'll find it. Debbie, thank you again so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W87. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. And would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter slash X. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.